the other day, Haley came home and was like, I'm quitting my job. Yeah, and he's like, don't quit your job. No, don't. You, you can't afford it. And I was like, all right, I won't. And then I came and I was like, I've got news. I quit my job. And he's like, what? I think we were about 100k in debt at that point personally it was a what else we got okay there's probably 20k sitting in your car their house that's got to go <laughs> we've made a rule no business in bed yep. even like if you're falling asleep and he's like oh but what about i'm like no welcome to add to cart australia's leading e-commerce podcast that express delivers all you need to know in the fast-moving world of online retail Every week, Nathan Bush from eSuite and an e-commerce industry expert will share the news, research and insights that you need to know to keep you at the top of your game. And of course, keep your customers adding to cart. Hello and welcome to Add to Cart. My name is Nathan Bush, host of Add to Cart and director at e-commerce talent agency, eSuite. Today... We're getting into bed with Haley and Andy Worley from the Sheet Society. See what I did there? It's not even funny. It's probably even bordering on creepy. Anyway, Haley and Andy started the Sheet Society because they wanted to make the worst job in the world, putting sheets back on the bed easier. And they wanted to bring beautiful design into the bedroom. They started four years ago with a 20K investment, shooting web content on their iPhones, and they even sold a car to pay for stock. They're now generating over $15 million worth of sales every year. They have a retail store, a team of 50, and operate out of a three and a half thousand square meter warehouse in Melbourne. Stay tuned right until the end where we get a very special Add to Cart exclusive on a big move for the Sheet Society. So thanks to our partners Shopify Plus and Signet, Here's our conversation with Haley and Andy Worley from the Sheet Society. Andy and Haley Worley, welcome to Add to Cart. Thank you. Good, good. We've been trying to line this up for so long, but things like just having kids gets in the way of it. How's it all going for you guys? Yeah, I think we were really in the thick of it when you first said, come on, and we were like, oh, I don't know, we're not the best people at the moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, Miller's now nearly six months, and we've got Jake who's um, two, and a, two bit. and a bit. So yeah, we're, we're through the thick of it now. Yeah, it's tough to find time for us to be like in the same place yeah. and with quiet, so it's taken a good few months. <laughs> and and same. A couple of days like in daycare it. now, so cool. we, can, uh, we can get some time together. Brilliant. Um, so we're here to talk about your other baby, the Sheet Society. For anyone who hasn't come across the Sheet Society, can you give um, people an idea of what Sheet Society is? Yeah, well, that's probably me question. Um, which just made the idea of shopping for sheets fun. You know, I had a really shit experience in a department store buying um, a set of sheets and, you know, they were wrapped in this little plastic brick of a block and I thought I was buying quite a conservative colour, but when I got home it had this like neon orange piping around and I was so disappointed and I'd unfolded it and I'm just past the point of being able to return it. And I just thought, why is the experience of shopping for sheets so different to the experience of shopping for clothes? Like when you buy a new outfit, you you take it into the change room, you take off all your clothes and you try on something that you haven't paid for yet. I just couldn't understand why those two experiences were so different and, um, yeah, set out to um, build the business of making sheets. Brilliant. And from what I understand, you started with a a 20K investment and grew this this based into $15 million. 
Sounds easy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Twenty <laughs> <laughs> um, k. Gosh, that was a while ago. That was kind of just the start of it. Hey, yeah, um, it was. It was twenty k of like startup money, and then I remember having to call mum before their first shipment arrived because I hadn't factored in um, like the import charges. <laughs> so <laughs> before I'd even launched, I was already asking for favors. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a myth, isn't it? People say like startup money. Um, and I feel like we needed a lot more money just to keep going. Like no one says yes. keep going capital. <laughs> no, exactly. And what was the hardest part about going from this idea of unwrapping the sheets that were shit and then bring it to reality? Gosh, do you reckon day one when we launched the website and then we Googled ourselves and couldn't find it? And wondered how it all worked. <laughs> yeah, we'd had the Instagram and all my friends. I was like, come on, but got the Sheet Society, buy our sheets. And then everyone was Googling the Sheet Society and like flicking through, like got to page six, page seven, page 12. And there were Not like there. music sheets. There was Google Sheets. Wow. <laughs> all of these things. And we're like, hang on, we've got a website. Why can't Google find it? Like, how come no one can find no us? So we had absolutely no idea. So, yeah. Just starting from scratch, learning every bit about how this all works. I mean, Haley, expert product developer, I'd say, and then it came to the marketing and e-com side and we were very fresh. Yeah. So it leads to the question of how do you, how do you make sheets exciting? Yeah, well, I mean, there's so many things that you can improve about the product. Um, and I think like changing the bed is like the shittest household activity. And it's the <laughs> you worst. just dread it. Yeah. And the worst is when you've, you know, you've stripped your sheets and you've washed them and it's Sunday and they're still not dry. And you're like, <laughs> do I sleep on this bed without any sheets? The <laughs> worst is when you go to bed on a Sunday night, it's like 10 o'clock and you get there and you go, oh, I didn't finish that job. <laughs> the worst Absolutely. feeling in the world and so when you're doing that you know if you've got like those um pesky little buttons when you're changing a quilt cover that's annoying so we've swapped it over for a zipper um you know the fitted sheet elastic if that's you know i've had ones before that go all crunchy and that they're not stretchy enough so we fix that with our signature ribbed elastic and made them extra deep so you're not really like having a workout just changing the bed and then the colors and textures as well like I, i'm a big believer in color really being used to translate your personal style and it can really say a lot about yourself and you wear a new outfit um, to express your personal style and yet you know you're sleeping in these sheets that are either plain white or hand-me-downs or race cars on them still and you know why isn't your bed an expression of your own personal style Hmm. I guess so many weird looks with my race car sheets (laughs) (laughs) how many people have you got in your bedroom (laughs) it's another podcast in itself Did you know that Lush Cosmetics have committed to being naked 50% of the time? That means free from packaging, you sickos. But when packaging is used, it needs to meet stringent environmental guidelines, including being 100% recyclable. So that's when Lush joined forces with our partner Signet to provide an eco-friendly outer packaging solution, which helps get their products in the hands of retailers in perfect condition while making a minimal environmental impact. To see the packaging solutions that Lush Cosmetics use, plus 5,500 other solutions, visit signet.net.au and up your e-commerce packaging game today. When you are creating these features of sheets and you're designing this to kind of take sheets to the next level, 
How do you communicate that to a brand new audience to go, hey, guys, we're not just another sheep company. We're doing things differently. It's through all of the different things. And I think by having a, um, a product that has so many unique selling points and features and benefits, by having a really good marketing funnel that speaks to a lot of those points, you know, we might hit them with like a styling inspiration video and then we might talk about our invisible zipper, our free express shipping or all of these little points. One of them is bound to resonate with you. Yeah, absolutely. And did you say three years ago, Is it when did we start? Feb 2017. Right. So right in the middle of like the Instagram boom for e-commerce, is that fair? <sighs> Look, it was right after I reckon. Yeah, and it was probably like a good year or so after that. So we knew from the get-go that we weren't going to be able to generate the type of following that we could organically um, and we hadn't done, you know, those tactics about, you know, creating a blog and then selling something afterwards. We were late to the game in that but it's been a bit of a blessing because, you, you know, we realised early on that our time and money was better spent just paying for the correct targeting and actually using digital marketing the way it's intended and it's actually a great tool if you're willing to actualize that cost in in your first margin and that was a really turning point for us I feel we factor in our first margin of cost of goods and cost to sell those goods on digital channels and paying for that has really changed the game and do you work to a specific ROI target uh, yeah, we do. Well, it used to be two and then it was three and then it was four. Um, you know, just steadily working away. And we're trying to stick to around about a 10 at the moment in, in the last. That's a, it's a high target. It is, it is a high time. Yeah. And a lot goes into that. Like, um, you know, we have a quite a high repeat customer rate. So yeah. um, if you factor in that in terms of the whole digital landscape, you know, maybe we just need to send you another, hey, this is new ad. Um, and then that's enough for you to check out. You don't have to go through the whole funnel again. Yeah. I read that you have a, um, a returning customer rate of around 30%. And correct me if I've got any of this information wrong because <laughs> I often do, but I read there's about 30%. And I can imagine that sheets isn't something that's always on people's mind or a frequent purchase. Do you have any other tactics to bring people back in for that second, third, fourth purchase? You'd be surprised, Bushy. I reckon that's maybe you don't buy sheets. Yeah, I reckon that's probably it. (laughs) There's there's definitely a couple of distinct groups in there. There's the people that, you know, that you just buy a pillowcase to test it out and then you go, right, this is amazing. I'll go and get the whole set. Or then the people that get the set and they have the best sleep of their lives and they love it. And now they can't sleep on any of their other sheets. So they got instantly replaced the entire linen cupboard. And then, yeah, there's people more like you that maybe six, seven, eight months need a new set. Look, people like me is that my wife orders the sheets and then they just appear. And I've got no idea how frequent they are or where they come from. Of course, they come from the Sheet Society, um, but yeah, I just don't play a part. Now, Haley, I saw a quote from you that says that you're building a brand, not just a product. We've talked a little bit about the product. What did you mean by building a brand, not just a product? Look, I think if you if you think about the product, it, it essentially is like a lifeless piece of fabric. <laughs> There's your next marketing campaign. <laughs> I mean, we've had um, jokes with our videographers before and we're like, you know, breathe some life into this inanimate object that just sits on a bed. And so it really does need the brand to bring that to life and to help 
tell that story. So that's exactly why we can't just sell you a sheet for a sheet's sake. It's why we sell you a sheet that reflects your own personal style and a sheet that performs better than anything else and a sheet that it's got free shipping and all these five-star reviews and yeah, everything that makes up a brand is all of those other components, you know, right down from the product and obviously the labeling and um, everything we stand for as a brand right to like our warehouse and the way we interact with each other as employees. So everything to me falls under that heading of brand. And then the sheets speak for themselves, I'd say, once once you get them and you get tucked up in bed. Yeah. And in terms of building a brand and all those elements that you encompass, which is great because a lot of people think of brand, you go, I've got logos, I've got colours, we're sweet, we're good to go, but it does encompass you know, a much wider range of things. What's been the hardest element to get right or where you put your most effort into? I think we put effort different areas at different times depending on where it needs it so that we can incrementally bring up all areas of the business mm. and make sure we focus on every touch point. I mean, very early on, it was you know, developing the product and it was developing a really um, efficient marketing strategy. And then we had some really big growth and we had to really level up, you know, the backend operations and the systems and tech stack and implement things like WMS systems so that we could, you know, keep matching the experience that we're presenting with what the reality was um, of the business as well. And then keep leveling up customer service and give them more you know, tools and freedoms to make everybody happy, really. Yeah, so it's not one thing. It's just one thing at a time. And as founders who started this business and now have a, a big and growing team, how do you keep the essence of what you want the brand to be throughout all those teams? Yeah, that's something we're really struggling with at the moment. We've grown our team really quickly. Like we were maybe five or eight people this time last year and we've got about 45 on 50 on payroll now. now. So that's our new challenge. You know, how do we still keep connected to our team as founders and how do we clearly articulate the vision so that everyone is clear on what they show up to do every day? So we're trying that at the moment. I can't give you a definitive answer. (laughs) Yeah, defining the mission and the vision and the values and we really see people as the, the missing yeah. or the last kind of little it was, it was very easy you know when it was just me and you around mm. that kitchen table mm. you know we we got it we, we spent a bit of time and um, a couple of workshops really getting it out of our heads like what the why is what the reason for this all is and what the values uh, and what culture we want to create and we recently kind of published that out to the team uh, in our own way and um, you know we're starting to kind of work that through into the ways of working which is super nice yeah, and you got that feeling, Andy. You gave me a quick tour of the head office when I was in Melbourne. And as soon as you walk in those doors, it felt like you're in someone's house. Even though it was an office attached to a warehouse, it felt homely and nice and safe. I don't know. It was obviously intentional. But is there any tricks to kind of developing an office feel like that? Well, Haley's definitely the interior stylist. <laughs> you should have seen the building beforehand, though. Yeah, it was awful. It's come a very long way. But yeah, you're not the first person to say that. And mm. I don't know how he quantified that, if I'm honest. But it is just the vibe and the energy that people bring into the office. Yeah, we take a lot of pride in the space that we work out of. And that's reflective on the work that we do in this space. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cumulative of all the little things that we think about because you know, we're just working so hard to create an environment where everybody enjoys coming to and has a great culture you know so people can have fun and 
do their best work. And selfishly too, because we want to come to a great yeah. place that has a great culture. Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. People ask that even what we're creating at eSuite. It's like, how do you create a culture? It's like, as long as I just keep creating a place where I want to turn up to work every day, I think we'll be all right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I fill it with the people you love too. Yeah. Now, Andy, you mentioned tech before, and I could imagine that there's been huge changes in that amount of growth over the last three or four years. What's been the piece of tech which has really helped scale the business from your point of view? Oh, there's a couple. I'd say one of the biggest kind of step changes was, uh, and your sponsors will like this, moving uh, from Shopify kind of regular up to up to Plus, because yep. that really opened up that you know custom dev work that we could really get stuck into actually executing the vision in the online experience. Um, rather than, you know, simple product grids and things. So that really opened up how we structure our products so people could, you know, mix and match through the bed builder tool and, and things like that. And then open up the possibility of augmented reality that we've been working on. Um, so that would be one of the biggest ones. And then for the scale upside, implementing the WMS when we first moved over to the Brunswick warehouse was a big challenge. So for anyone who hasn't got to the scale of needing a WMS yet, can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview on, on how that impacts your business. Yeah, so that's a warehouse management system and that allows us to really automate our pick, pack and ship processes and label printing. I mean, before we had that system, we were printing out a pick slip for each order, running around manually, remembering where everything was and uh, just getting one of these, one of those, one of these and bringing it all back and then trying to find where that label was that went with that slip and that order. And there was just so much room for human error i mean it was fine when we were doing like 20 orders a day you could you could manage it but then when you know it was upwards of a thousand and, and, and more um it just completely and you don't have a small warehouse well, we did we did it was 200 square meters but now it's it's three and a half thousand yeah. um yeah. so there's just there's just no way you could run it in the same or nor would you want to so now everything you know everything's barcoded everything scans pickers just you know they don't need to remember where everything is they just get guided by handheld android devices that go go here get one of these put it here and then as they do a complete loop of the warehouse they come back with all the orders completely picked and then the labels just print out and then they go off to packers beauty and this isn't a high-tech innovation but when you were showing me around the warehouse one of the things that caught my eye was the custom boxes that you've created with your partners and I don't know how to explain it. Can you explain it for me? Because I was like, that just makes so much sense, but I've never seen it before. Yeah, it's a, um, so the shippers that come with the product in, when we were picking, we used to have to take the box off the shelf, open the box up, dive in, grab the item, put the box back. So we, we managed to get the suppliers to put like a custom perforation pattern directly on the front of the box so that when it got into the warehouse, you could just punch a hole through it and rip the front off and create the pick face. So yep. you, you save yourself about three steps in the picking process. I was kind of inspired from like supermarkets. Mm. I, used to work, <laughs> I used to work in, um, in, in, in grocery and working with Coles. So they want, they need shelf ready packaging that's efficient and you know, it all comes perforated and ready to rip off and put on the shelf. So. Cause they're perf- built perfectly for your shelves that are on a bit of an angle and you know, at the right height and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's really nice design. 
yeah, we've, we've thought of everything, you know, on the heights in that warehouse, you know, people used to be climbing shelves and, um, you know. It's, it's <laughs> in, in a safe WHS way, of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and more so now, you know, there's no picking below knee height, no picking above shoulder height, no need for ladders. Yeah, it's much, much nicer environment to be in. What's been the biggest lesson, I suppose, in that growth? Like, because we've talked about so much stuff from technology to culture to workplace. What's been, has there been an aha moment where you went, oh, that makes sense? Probably. It's a broad question. Yeah. I'd say the importance of culture. I know we've kind of touched on it, but, you know, Haley and I really get our energy from from working really hard, like 2020, pretty much head down, um, just going as fast as we can, trying to keep up. You know, we had a big realisation that not all the team get their energy in that way. Yeah, I think for me it's about really enjoying what you do and, you know, making light of it. Like we have photo shoots where, you know, you might change the bed like up to 25, 30 times and that's like a, a shit activity. But like let's have a race and like, you know, I've, I've done this one, you do that one and it's all about pitching in and just making everything you do enjoyable and approaching it with the right attitude. Normally photo shoots are a lot of fun, right? Like they're usually like a bit of a party atmosphere. Yours just sound horrible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they they are stuff. fun and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> them fun <laughs> awesome all right so, so, they've, they've changed i mean i remember we would rent airbnbs and we shot the whole first website on an iphone yeah the first photo shoot we did we actually took our mattress from home and um ratchet strapped it to the roof of our car we didn't have roof racks we just put it on the top of the car <laughs> And drove it to an Airbnb and even like shoots within the first year. I remember turning up to shoots and we obviously bring dooners to um, shoot with. I remember mine was still warm because it's the one that I got out of bed. (laughs) Still has your uggies in there. Speaking of cars, fun fact that I learned about you in a bit of research, I heard that you had to sell a car to buy stock for a Black Friday sale. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. That yeah. is very true. We were, we was about yeah. mid mid two thousand and eighteen, and we were, you know, obviously managing cash flow is super tight, yeah. super stressful. You know, we had what five credit cards, juggling balance transfer cards, and fifty day interest free periods on the MX, and PayPal working capital loans, and we just needed a bit more. I think we were about a hundred k in debt at that point, personally, and we had nothing else left, like Combank. We're not interested, thanks. And um, it was a what else we got? Okay, there's probably 20k sitting in your car, their house that's got to go. And <laughs> we get the mattress to photo shoots. <laughs> no, well, we, we this was before that, or after it was before that, actually. We put that on your old work car. <laughs> um, and I remember Andy saying when I bought this car, um, that don't buy a new car, their cars are an awful investment. And I was like, you know what, Andy, I'm, I'm really bad with money and I can't save for things, but I can pay things off. And so I just paid this car off. And then when we realized that we needed that money, I was like, see, it was a good investment in the end. <laughs> That's basically a savings account for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were, um, Stuck in your mum's Corolla. Yeah, mum lent me her Corolla. Mm. Nothing with rolling along in a Corolla. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that all came good. I mean, what, by December 2018, we'd turned over our first million, which was nice, and all the cards got paid back, and we bought another car in about January time, I think. Yeah. 
Trapeka is an Australian nutrition brand born on Shopify back in 2016, such a long, long time ago. Four years later, volumes have increased, B2B has become a priority, and it was time to scale. This meant a transition from Shopify to Shopify Plus. And what a transition it was with the addition of personalized discounts, cart optimizations, and a custom checkout. Trapeka were able to increase their average order value from $89 to $94 across 15,000 orders per month. That is a sign of a very healthy partnership. To read more of Trapeka's story and see other case studies, visit the customer section on shopify.com.au forward slash plus. Was that 2018 Black Friday, was that kind of a make or break point for you? Look, it was. We were, we were so deep in and if it didn't come off, I, d- I, actually, I don't know, didn't know where we were. Because the goal from the very start is to, is to stay kind of as self-funded as possible and not have to get investors and you know, shareholders and things. So just you know, it keeps things um, nice and simple for us. We don't really want to switch our focus um, from you know, pleasing customers and pleasing our team. So that's, that's been the goal. So is it a no to investment and third parties forever? Gosh, good questions. Can't say forever. I don't, I don't know, but definitely not it's right not now. on the horizon mm-hmm. kind of at yeah. the moment. We just want to see how, you know, how far we can go and how big we can get it. And Yeah, it goes back to like we just want to have fun and like answering to shareholders is just not fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funner just talking to customers than talking to um, investors, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Just going back to the inventory piece, right, I remember walking around your warehouse and Andy, you were saying about it looks like there is a lot of stock here and there is a lot of stock here. It's because we've got to plan so far in advance for different sales and seasons and things like that. How hard is that, especially in today's climate of COVID? God, what even is a forecast anymore? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it's, it's really hard. It's, 2020 was just, you know, insane. Um, it was all about get as much stock as possible, as quick as possible and keep it moving and pre-ordering. And yeah, I guess we came a bit unstuck at the end of the year because we, we, another lesson we learned was, yeah, if you get too much stock, you end up with no cash and a warehouse full, full of stock. So we learned a few lessons there. Yeah. And is there any techniques that you use now to predict what stock and inventory you need? Yep. We um we recently hired our first merchandise planner, which we probably should have hired a uh, much longer time ago. And I mean, and I always go, you know, kind of baseline sales and layer on promotional uplifts at a at a multiple of, of base is kind of how I work things out. But then we've got the lead times to factor in as well. I mean, you know, our suppliers, you know, a lot of manufacturing was shifting out of India and into China and causing a lot of delays and things through through last year. So we were working on four, five, six month lead times on on some some styles. So we really yeah had to find the working capital to um to stay in stock. Sounds like that's a common theme coming through is um cash flow, especially when you're self funded and bootstrapped, is that cash flow is is the thing to keep an eye on. Do you have any tips for anyone who's kind of in your shoes four years ago? around managing and keeping an eye on that cash flow? Absolutely. Be all over every single dollar in and every single dollar out. Otherwise, you just lose track. We, we managed or did in the past manage cash flow almost to the day at times. Yeah, Andy's been really strict with um, marketing spend as well. Like we've never written off anything for brand awareness or we just haven't been able to. We haven't given ourselves that luxury. And, you know, even today we 
really keep ourselves accountable to that. And it's like, okay, if you're going to put this rock poster up in this area, like what do you think the extra sessions will be? So um, making sure that the business is profitable is really important to keep growing. Does that make it hard when you start thinking about, you know, as you get bigger and you start thinking about things like above the line media um, where it's harder to track direct conversions, does that make that difficult to get into? Yeah, it is. And um, I think Kate, our head of marketing, is really frustrated with Andy at the moment. She's like, like, I just can't track it, Andy. Like, I can't tell you how many sessions will come through from a billboard. And Andy's like, well, if you can't track it, then why should we be doing it? (laughs) It's just this constant battle in the office. It's not about about tracking. I I just think, you know, let's take a stab and make an assumption. And it's fine to to be wrong. But if we didn't think it was a good idea, we wouldn't do it. So how good of an idea is it? So it's not so much about being able to directly track, but actually... Being able to go, I think this will be this will be the impact, the end impact that it'll have. This activity, yeah, just a gut feel over a period of time, just to just to justify the investment. It's and it's hard, yeah. It's yeah, it's a stab in the dark sometimes. But we, you know, if we don't do it, we won't learn. Yeah, absolutely. Now you talked about caught my ear before when you said that you were in, um, looking at some AR technology, AR and bed sheets going together. The mind boggles. What are you guys doing in that space? Yeah, well, we've built our bed builder. Um, we launched that um, last year and the business is all about mixing and matching. So we don't sell anything um, as sets and you're in, encouraged to really uh, create your own personal style that reflects you and your personality. So we didn't feel like we were able to offer that to consumers until we built that little model where you can have a play and add a fitted sheet and change it to like a blush pink or change it to terracotta. Um, and so once we built that, that was a really big moment for us because I've been talking about that for a few years and when that was up and online I was kind of thinking okay well what's the next big goal and then I remember we were in a meeting and I was like what if it was in AR and everyone's like oh sure okay <laughs> and Andy's um, like what's the return on that Hayley yeah I know <laughs> I, was, I, I was all in on that one yeah <laughs> Um, and so we put it out to our network and then um, it turns out the girl who designed our store knew a guy who she met in a wine bar who was an AR designer and he was right around the corner in Melbourne. And so we had a meeting with him and he had just built another AR model and, you know, we're in this meeting and he's like, okay, so any questions? And I was like, I don't know what to ask. <laughs> I've never built anything, you know. What do people normally ask you? <laughs> um, and then we built it out and it was a beast because we think it's the it's the world's first configurator AR. So it's not just here's this bed in your space. It is something that you've designed out of like 51 quadrillion options. It's up to 512 quintillion different options. Don't even Holy know that moly. <laughs> that it'll render in just a couple of seconds. In your browser. So, you know, something you've just designed in your space is just game changing. And yeah, it's so fun to play with. You know, you're able to scan the corners of your bed and then it drops this mattress over the top of your existing bed so you can see it with your um, wall colour, with your bedside tables and yeah, really visualise it. You can walk up to it and through the browser, look at all the textures and the pillows and things. So yeah, it's a bit of fun. Yeah, it's an exciting cool. space. I think it's going to come a long way soon. But there are limitations with the current tech that's out there, you know, based on, you know, iPhones and Androids, but it's something we're, we're really interested in and just want to, you know, keep an eye on that tech and, and keep innovating and seeing how far we can push it. Is there any of those limitations that you think is holding it back from becoming mainstream? 
look, the experience isn't great. Like if the mattress moves around a little bit, like the colours are really hard and if you've got different lighting in your room, you know, a lot of people only have um, artificial lighting and so it is a bit hard to see the shadows and the true colours. So, yeah, it, it'll get there though, I reckon. Yeah, it's a really, really good start, I think. And it's really interesting what you said there around you don't sell sheet sets and then going into being able to create quintillion options of sheets and bedding and pillows and all that sort of stuff. There's kind of, it seems like there's two schools of thought at the moment around this for customers is either make it really simple. I don't want to think, just tell me, you know, give me four options and I'll pick one or four and I'll be away. Or there's let me customize and personalize to my style. Have you found that giving customers so many options and so much flexibility has led to any kind of decision paralysis at all? Look, it probably does, yeah. And we probably need to be a bit more mindful of that on our website and we're going to go through a rebuild that will launch um, before the end of the year. So, yeah, there is those two people and and how do we capture both of those? Like how do we really satisfy both of them? And we do a great job on our Instagram about showing you, you know, inspirational looks with our colours. But, yeah, well, I don't think we do a good enough job of the person who just wants to come and, and just be sold something. Yeah. Now, guys, I can't let you go without, you know, your husband and wife team. We've, we, I, I feel we've got a bit of your personalities across already <laughs> and, and a bit of your differences. <laughs> Take us into the working life of Andy and Haley. What do you guys, how do you guys split responsibilities and where do you pay each other off? Yeah, when we first started working together, we wrote a list of like, you know, what business functions there were and who got final say of those business functions. And that was actually really helpful because we had a few heated conversations and disagreements and it was like, oh, you've got to win this one, don't you? <laughs> um, but now we've got a, we've got a really opposite skill set, which is really funny because we've got really similar personalities. We actually didn't know that when we started. It was just the kind of areas that we naturally fell into. I mean, Haley, just a brilliant creator. But, you know, I noticed early on that, you know, some of the more technical and financial side and numbers side of the business um, just needed so much more focus. And I just naturally slipped into that side, which is what kind of I loved and kind of leave Haley to all the, all the creative stuff. And then I know what pisses Andy off when I've got these big ideas and haven't really thought them through financially. Here's another (laughs) Um, one incoming. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, that's it. But I've got Andy down, Pat. If I've got an idea, I need to be really big and bold about it and give him a week to think about it. (laughs) And then he usually comes around and sometimes he spits it back at me like it's his idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when it's, you know, refined into possibility. But that's it. You you, you throw amazing ideas at me and expect like a yes straight away and I immediately think about all the things that are going to go wrong so it takes me a week of, of really honing it in and say yeah let's do it but this is how we're going to do it but I think those tests that you can do online that talk to about like your personalities um you know a few people go through them with the recruitment process I think they're so valuable yeah. uh, like we can figure out you know what fills Andy's cup and what drains his energy and you know HR is something that really drains Andy like having serious conversations he's not great at but like like give him a spreadsheet and he'll just be so energized by that. And I'm kind of the opposite. So it's like figuring out how to structure your week and, and make sure that, you know, if you've got a really tough conversation with someone in the morning, throw some spreadsheets in the afternoon, balance it out again. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a chill really out with a spreadsheet, Andy. Just chill out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, work towards your skills. Yeah, that's awesome. But then do you find, because you know each other so well, that when it comes to key decisions that impact both of you, say, a critical hire in your business that you can kind of second guess what the other would think? 
I'd say we're really well aligned most of the time. Yeah. And sometimes Andy says yes, and I'm like, oh, I didn't think that was going to be yes. <laughs> but I think the thing that's really interesting lately is our team, they kind of know when to go to me and then when to go to Andy. <laughs> that's been really interesting. Um, and then they kind of assume that we talk a lot about our days at home and we really try and make an effort not to, like when we get home, like the time is for the kids and, you know, we could talk about the Sheik Society all day, every day, but we need to switch off. So, yeah, that's something you're really mindful of mm-hmm. is that hard to switch off when you're growing so much and you've got so many ideas and it's always in the back of your head right is oh, it absolutely. a real hard conscious effort to switch off around the kids yes yeah, so hard and even like we've made a rule no yeah. business in bed even like if you're, you're falling asleep and it's like oh but what about and i'm like no write it down talk to me about tomorrow because if you give me an idea my head's just going to tick over all night so yeah really setting those guardrails in place that's great mm-hmm. and my research has gone to the next level for this one, right? I heard that you guys met <laughs> on a dance floor in St Kilda. Is that right? Was Andy <laughs> dancing? Did, yeah. <laughs> no, Andy was no, sitting no, down. No, I was standing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah look, uh, we were both out on a Sunday night. It was Definitely around two. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, oh. free kids. And then, yeah, Andy was sitting down and I kind of gave him the eyes across the dance floor and, um, you know, hoped that he'd come over and talk to me. And we kind of like, I was in the main at the time, we kind of hustled up next to him and, you know, I was standing there for a while. He didn't come <laughs> and talk to me. And so then my friend said, oh, Hayley, he's not going to talk to you. Let's just go. And I'm like, fine, let's go. And then Andy stood up from his chair, tapped was, me on the back. And he said, he said, no, don't go. Oh. <laughs> his first words <laughs> and then the rest is history yeah it's most beautiful yeah he then we're engaged 10 months after that actually oh, yeah wow. so he sent me a message the next day and he said we're going out tonight i really need to see you again and then um really within four weeks he had to move back to england and i packed up everything and moved over with him wow and then who had the idea for sheet society oh that was definitely Haley's idea yeah and did it take much convincing Andy, to, to follow the, the journey? Look, I didn't, I didn't get a choice. Um, <laughs> and then, we, you know, I, I, we need, I needed, Haley didn't have any savings. It was all in the car. Um, so I needed to dip into mine, you know, and then I needed to make sure it was a safe investment and jumped in um, to back Haley up on all the areas that she wasn't particularly strong in from the start. And the other day, Haley came home and was like, I'm quitting my job. Yeah, and he's like, don't quit your job. No, nah, don't. You, you can't afford it. And I was like, all right, I won't. And then I came and I was like, I've got news. I quit my job. He's like, what? <laughs> and I work better like that. If I've got like a, it was, if it's do or die, that's when I'm like, okay, I need to pull out all the stops. And it's not right for everyone. And I'm definitely not recommending that to all of your listeners. But for me, you know, we invested our life savings into the business and I was still trying to hold down a full-time job, you know, shipping out orders at the post office on my lunch break. And it just, we'd given all our money to it and I needed to give all my time to it to really make it thrive and um yeah there is such a different energy to a business when you've got to cut the rope and you've got to earn an income and a living from it as opposed to doing as a side hustle right absolutely and i needed that to really push me how would you recommend having having done both how would you recommend anyone who's listening who might might have a side hustle is there any triggers or any signals or any metrics andy that you would go now's the right time to make it a full-time gig I think when you've got opportunities, yeah, you've got opportunities that you can see are there that you just aren't allocating your time for. 
yeah, I think that's a really big one. If you can, you can see that it's holding you back, then go ahead. And, you know, when I quit my full-time job, I still had to pick up some side hustle. Like I was making wedding dresses on weekends. <laughs> um, and then eventually phase that out. So yeah, when I think the, you can see the opportunity there and it just needs more time, that's a really good decider. And I think you'll know when that feels right. Yeah, nice. And look how it's worked out. Perfect. Hello, you're lucky. Yeah, it was touching, touching going for a while. What's next on the radar for yourselves and the Sheet Society? We're actually going through a rebrand. Bombshell. I know, bombshell. So, yeah, we're going to be called Sheet Society, not the Sheet Society. Any Um, reason for that? um, I feel like when I first started the brand, I wanted to call it the Sheet Society because I wanted to give it a bit more credibility. Um, But now we've built this brand and we've got its own credibility. Like it is just Sheet Society now and that's just who we are. And we thought that was a big call. And then we researched how many people were Googling the Sheet Society. More people actually Google Sheet Society. (laughs) So I feel like that's a good call. Um, We're building. Yeah, we've got to build our website from scratch again. We're actually still running on a out of the sandbox theme that we bought for 250 bucks back in 2017. Still on. Got some decent ROI out of that. Yeah, um, and then yeah, we're going to start looking into loyalty programs. Yeah, a lot of really fun projects in the mix. Just a few small things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, if anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch with you, especially Shopify theme builders, what's the best way <laughs> to get in touch? <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> we're just on LinkedIn, so yeah, I'm Hayley Wally. And- yep, Andy Wally. Yeah. I love yeah. chatting to um, other business owners. Yeah, and he's got like a Friday slot where he just has other business owners in and um, chats to them. So if anyone wants one of Andy's Friday slots. (laughs) (laughs) Look at you pimping Andy out now. Hey, he loves it. No, that's awesome. I, I love that idea too because and that's what I'm finding in this podcast is that Australian e-commerce business owners are just so generous with their time and the connection and what you can learn by sharing with other business owners is just phenomenal. So I think it's a great idea. Well done. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Someone said to me the other day that, um, you know, e-commerce is so supportive because we're all just trying to get people to buy things online. And if we give someone a good experience buying things online, then that's better for other people selling things online because people are more inclined to shop online. So it is such a great community. Yeah, absolutely. Hayley and Andy, thank you so much for giving us an insight into the Sheet Society and yourselves. It's um, great to hear your stories and um, Andy's dating techniques. So um, (laughs) (laughs) it works. They work, they work. Take note. Thanks, guys. Look, I'll level with you. I'm not sure any of the highlights that I'll pull out from that episode are going to top Andy's dating skills, but I'm going to give it a go. Here are my top three actionable takeouts from today's episode with Haley and Andy. Number one, even though the social advertising game is getting harder and we're hearing this from a lot of retailers at the moment, the Sheet Society still aim for an ROI target of 10. That's 10 times the amount of advertising dollars they expect to get in revenue. This is at the higher end of what we typically see, but it is possible with great strategy and content. Don't give up on those high ROI targets just yet. Number two, once you get upwards of, say, a 1,000 orders per day, as in Haley and Andy's story, it is essential that you start considering an automated warehouse management solution. It will likely be one of the most expensive and complicated technology investments you will make, but it will increase efficiencies dramatically and allow you to scale if you get it right. Number three, 
I think we can universally agree that making the bed is a shit activity. Now imagine having to do it up to 30 times in a photo shoot. I loved when Haley talked about turning dreaded tasks like making the bed into fun team building activities. See if you can take those activities that are really dreaded in your organization and give them a new perspective and a bit of fun that can actually work as a team building activity. Great tip. To finish up, I have three resources for you. Firstly, if you're a first-time listener of Add to Cart and you want to stay up to date with new episodes, head over to addtocart.com.au and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We'll let you know every time a new episode drops as well as giving you my three takeaways from each episode and a link to the transcripts so you can know that this is an episode that you want to dive straight into. Secondly, if you want a weekly roundup of the best e-commerce case studies, tools, and research, sign up to the High Five Friday newsletter, which is delivered to inboxes at 8 a.m. every Friday morning. I read all the e-commerce news and send you the bits that I think you can take action from. Sign up at 12high12high.com.au forward slash high five. And the last thing, if you are looking to explore your next e-commerce opportunity, head over to esuitetalent.com.au. We are a dedicated e-commerce talent agency connecting the best e-commerce talent with the fastest growing brands. Check it out, sign up to the email and get in touch with me if you want to discuss your next move. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep those customers adding to cart.